Woods, welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what our sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the times in which we are living today. What do our sacred texts and stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance in showing up in liberation? What do they have to teach us about any of these things in the time of pandemic, in a time when profound death has been aided and abetted by white supremacist systems, from police precincts to congressional halls of power? How do we journey to freedom even now, worn out as we are? What are our signposts in this wilderness? My name is Seth Wispelway. I'm a pastor in the United Church of Christ, and I use he and him pronouns. I'm joining today from Tucson, Arizona, which is located on the traditional and occupied homelands of the Tohono O'odham Nation and its people who have stewarded this land for generations. We do well to acknowledge these things at a very minimum in hope and prayer that our ideas and understandings of possession, property, and history unclench towards a radical repentance that ultimately leads to a radical re-understanding, use, and reclamation of these spaces we call church, home, and more, as the living God expects and requires. And it's not just me here today. Hey, Seth. My name is Alan Maxfield Steele, and I'm a pastor in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ tradition. He, him, is my pronouns, and I'm calling in today from Western North Carolina known as Cherokee land. And I am happy to be coming back on this podcast after an extended absence. So it's nice to connect with you today, Seth. About this podcast series for Lent to the special episodes of the Word is Resistance. This Lent is an encouragement to listen in as podcast contributors join in self-reflection and community with one another. We're asking what can we learn from each other from our mistakes and misperceptions, from our own places of pain and also our places of joy, healing and hope, which might guide us in this time as white Christians are working for racial justice in record numbers, many ways, or many would say. What ways of being and belonging and meaning making and ministry, what ways of spiritual practice and movement practices can help us move towards God and towards community? The late Dr. Vincent Harding elder and leader in the black freedom movement often spoke of live human signposts or people in our lives who can help us find the way towards greater wholeness and multiracial democracy this lent we look towards each other to the scripture and to the the live human signposts in each of our lives to guide our path forward today we'll be reading from the gospel as it's attributed to john chapter 12, verses 20 through 33. Hear now this word of God. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, 
the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it. And those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. And others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. Seth. Uh, so this is a passage from the Gospel of John. Whenever I encounter John in the lectionary, my eyes grow wide and I remember the days of seminary where I still, even then, was more confused by how John shows up in the lives of Christian folks. Um, and so I'm wondering, you know, we're, we're, we're tasked today with trying to figure out how to break some of this down as it relates to to be a white Christian folk or folks involved in liberation movement who happen to be white, but there's also just sort of the, the what's going on <laughs> in this text, you know, that the gospel of John, I think entering into it laterally like this uh, can, can be a little bit jarring. Uh, so what's your read on what's, what's going on in this text today? That is a good question because it's certainly true that as a gospel, John, or whoever's writing this really does have a lot of his own things going on, his own language, his own peccadillos. And there's a lot of callbacks. Um, certainly there are in the other scriptures, but those are more kind of narratively driven. Mm. And here, just in my own refresher before this conversation, I was struck by how in this passage we did come in and laterally, there's actually so many uh, self-referential points from John to earlier parts of John, that Jesus is always kind of in this road towards the fulfillment of the hour and the importance and meaning of the Greeks coming to see him is symbolic of the universal offering of liberation available to all, even though so much of this gospel is rooted in a lot of 
all metaphorical language and, and so on. Um, what came up for me a bit in this really good question around, so who and how and why and where do we as white Christians and the United States find meaning for the dismantling of white supremacy and the pursuit of expansive racial justice that we believe will manifest liberation. I was reminded of this incredible opportunity. I had to take a two week summer course um, in seminary with Father Gustavo Gutierrez, who some call the godfather of liberation theology. He wrote A Theology of Liberation, a Peruvian priest. And this class was titled A Spirituality of Liberation. And Father Gutierrez defines spirituality in that class as the ways in which we choose life. Spirituality is the ways in which we choose life. All of us, whatever our belief systems, creeds, um, ways we walk in the world are spiritual in some way or another, just in the same way we are physical, mental, and emotional beings. And spiritualities, the ways we choose life or not, inform, inflect, and often govern all of our institutions and systems and belongings and pursuits. <clears throat> so what are the ways we choose life and liberation? And I would make the case that in the United States of America, and I think the data backs me up, that the ways, the spiritualities that govern the United States since its founding are white supremacy, patriarchy, militarism, mm -hmm. consumer capitalism, and various intersections and overlaps of the same. Now, these are death dealing spiritualities. These are these are ways of living and governing that exclude many for the benefit of a few, whether that's based on race, gender, orientation, how we make um, how we make our our profits or not. And so where that all ties back into the scripture for me was in seeing those who would love their life will lose it and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, but for starters, if you love the life that the United States props up for those who belong, and I'm speaking as a cis hetero white man, um, so I automatically inherently benefit from these death dealing spiritualities, or at least I'm told I benefit. I mean, I, I certainly would say that uh, white people need to be liberated from the lie and death of white supremacy as well, because it gets us away from the truth that we belong to each other. Mm -hmm. uh, though, but those who invest in making their lives through death dealing spiritualities are ultimately gonna lose them because this is not the kingdom economy that God has in mind that Jesus came to sacrifice for. Jesus came to bring life to all and to model economies of human relationship and belonging and ordering ourselves in our institutions and structures that not only offer an alternative, but actively threaten those who want to 
um, govern by exclusion, death, and more. And so people are made to hate themselves for their identity, um, orientation, or are told that they are less than by these governing spiritualities. So this is a bit of a long answer, but for me, I was just kind of, this is also the answer for me anyway. Um, because as white Christians, just to bring it home, who benefit implicitly and explicitly from a country that dares to call itself a Christian nation, mm. but then gives primacy to white and white identifying folks, we have to root around and find what are our stakes? Um, because if this is what Jesus came to do, we have to lose our lives such as they are uh, to bring life to others. And it lays claims on us, uh, as he also says in the scripture, um, where was it? Whoever serves me must follow me and where I am in a country governed by the death dealing spirituality of white supremacy for white Christians to serve Jesus is to bodily essentially lose our lives in some ways. Mm. Um, and that's hard. And I'll stop there. Uh, certainly our country has reckoned in very explicit ways over the past year in the streets and in our quarantine lies with the disparities that have been brought to the surface. But Alan, I'm monologuing where we should be conversing. What, what can look <laughs> for you? Oh, very. I appreciate that. I, and I feel like it, it uh, speaks really alongside in overlapping ways to what it came up for me when I first read the passage, which is, you know, just again, reminding folks who are listening and who are trying to put some texture underneath the context of the passage from the, from, you know, reading various commentaries and uh, thinking and trying to remember what I can remember from the way that this gospel's story unfolds is that this is the last time that Jesus is speaking to a public group, right? At, at, after this passage, things go back to the original, at least other, as they're organized in this gospel, the original disciples. Um, and so there's something meaningful about the, the Greeks, so to speak, coming to Jesus, kind of what you're talking about uh, with the universalizing, like that this message and the, this, this eternal understanding of who God is and who's God manifested in Jesus in this story um, are, this, that's, that, that's who gets to experience this, that's who gets to engage with this, which is another way of saying everybody. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think what you, what you bring up in your reflection is really powerful because I think it's the, you know, I think about liberation struggles and I think a lot of times in white organizing or white movement spaces or for folks who are coming into racial justice work as white people who've been racialized as white, the, the, some of the more powerful claims, the more powerful arguments uh, being pronounced and proclaimed uh, at least in terms of how it's depicted, usually by our black and brown and indigenous brothers and sisters and kin and siblings, can feel like, well, what what is what is my what is what does my liberation look like as a white person in all of this? And I think that this passage, on one hand, is interesting reading it through that lens, is because even we as white people are calling for Jesus, right? Even we can be the quote unquote Greeks in the in the story of Jesus being brought into this universalizing message. So it's up for us to have to figure 
that out. And what is Jesus telling us in this story, which is that um, I'm going to die. This is the way that I'm going to die. Uh, that death is, in fact, part of what it means uh, for this world to be reborn in the way that, again, that John's theology uh, is talking about it. And that even you Greeks or you white people <laughs> get, get, can get in on this death and rebirth. Um, and that there's a, there's a call into uh, believing and having faith in what will happen beyond the death, right? I think that that um, is part of what is cosmically depicted throughout all of the Gospel of John, and it's different than the other synoptics, et cetera. It's, it's really hammering in this kind of uh, Marvel galaxy as it were, <laughs> of like these multi-dimensions and time and, you know, whatever the, the Horfrost, if you're a Thor fan, you know, like all these different things of being shot through the universe through all these like golden rainbow lights and stuff like that. And I think that that, um, that is what got John's gospel is asking all of us to have, uh, particularly white folks, I think even to like step into understanding that resurrection beyond death is possible. Um, mm-hmm. And that it doesn't mean that um, it makes any sense in the here and now. Mm. Um, and I think that, that the, the fact that it's, you know, we're being called to understand and know uh, that resurrection beyond death is possible um, is one, one thing to grapple with. The other thing to grapple with is even being able to step towards uh, the, the very realities of death. Mm. And, I th- and I think as white people, we have like, just like anybody else, grief when we experience loss i mean and i think uh anybody who proclaims that they've been untouched by this last year uh i would be shocked you know that they haven't been impacted in some way by grief or death or loss in real uh real ways in this last year and so i think this lent and this easter passage or this lenten passage really is asking us to to grapple with what is beyond uh the death that we're experiencing so i think there's that, you know, there's just like that, that, that sort of uh, basic, but very complex the- theological like uh, pro- proclamations that John's making here. And then I think for white people, when we talk about liberation, I think that's what I was really appreciating about what you're talking about, is that the hard work of dying into the liberation work uh, that we're being called into is not, there's no promise here that there aren't consequences. Mm. Um, there's no promise here that it will be um, some easy peasy, like just snap your fingers and yay, we're all like happy, go lucky. There's no peace without justice um, is what I think is being at least intimated here. Um, and that it is, it, is our, it is our responsibility both to hold that, mm-hmm. um, those complexities, but also to, to keep faith, keep hope, uh, that there is transformation that is being promised to us and being asked of us at the same time. So there's a promise and then there's the, the, there's the directive. And I think that that uh, comes out for me in this passage. Mm. Um, yeah, so, but it's, you know, it's easy to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's easy to like get into the, get into the like, oh yeah, this is probably what this means. Right. But, but what's it look like, I think, is, is also what we're being asked to grapple with. So I don't know if you have any thoughts about, like, what's that look like? Wow. No, you, you 
touch on a lot of things. Well, number one, I love that you brought up the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's something <laughs> we could talk about. Is that, Another... the, <laughs> is that the Bifrost? The, the... Bifrost, not the Horfrost. Why did I say Horfrost? <laughs> no road between the galaxies and the multiverse. Totally the multiverse, that's it. But I think it's a wonderful <laughs> image we could run with, and I'll go there with you. Um, but before I lose this other train of thought, thank you for sharing all you did. It gets it. I mean, some of this is the uniqueness of John's gospel because this is the one uh, telling where Jesus doesn't wrestle with what's coming to him. I mean, he even says it out loud here, right? Right. Um, what am I going to say? Save me from this hour? Nah. No. Um, there, there's no like tears in the garden. Right. Um, and not only that, then says, like, he's saying, I'm going to die a sacrificial death. This is going to be the fulfillment not just a fulfillment, but a glorious representation of the love I have for you. Yeah. Sacrificed um, because the world can't handle it. And I'm just going to bear witness. And then it's going to be y'all. And there's something in there that to me, um, at least I'd be curious what you think, is a stark rejoinder to white supremacist thinking mm -hmm. because white supremacist thinking, and I grew up, in a white supremacist patriarchal denomination, you know, women certainly can't be leaders, you know, and, and that, you know, I'm, I just thank God I was liberated from that. Um, though it's been a long deconstruction process, but white supremacist thinking like really wants to hew to there's capital T truth, right? Mm -hmm. And this is what it is. And here's the lines and orders. Like it's a theology of privilege. Like mm -hmm. you can afford to believe these uh, there, there aren't signposts or guideposts. There's just the hitching post. Um, and, and what Jesus is saying and, and to what you were saying is, you know, there's no peace without justice. And so Jesus is saying, I'm modeling this for you all. And then it's going to be all, meaning the story is going to continue. There isn't just this like static line in the sand thing. There's this story that continues to need to be walked where you have to ask yourselves, are you serving me? Are you following me? It may lead to the same kind of death, mm. not in body, then at least in relationship and everything to continue modeling it going forward. And I think of how in John, I was reading something about this the other day, later when Jesus is before Pontius Pilate, um, and Pilate's sort of apathetic, but it's sort of also like, you know, what are you doing here? And Jesus simply says, I came to bear witness to the truth. Um, and Pilate says, what is truth? Jesus actually doesn't answer him. Jesus's purpose is this ongoing, liberative, um, fungible process. Um, the, the point is to bear witness. And that's something that I think challenges us as white Christians. Um, because, you know, another thing with our thinking throughout, like, all right, well, what are the right things to believe? What are the right things to do? You know, for those who have had their consciences tweaked, right, by the truth that the police, for example, kill our black and brown siblings with impunity, and they are designed to do so. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of weeping and gnashing of teeth in the year 2020. And they're like, what do I do? What do I do? We're always in our interest. What do we do? Because they're like, Clearly, I'm a part of this process, but so much of white supremacist systems excuse us from 
you know, even seeing ourselves as agents and our, that's, I think, one of the great victories of white supremacy is convincing white folks that they're somehow powerless in a system that has all powerless. And I think part of what I'm getting at is we have to then actually get rid of the what do we do question. There's just an embodied solidarity we must be. There's a bearing witness. That's right. And that's what gets scary and that all these other questions and conversations, it's not that they shouldn't happen or we shouldn't have them with each other. But if we're like trying to chew up time to, to run with the police violence an abolition question by being like, yeah, you know, it's awful what happened to George Floyd or, you know, whatever else, but I don't like the slogan defund the police. Like we are talking about different like frames, like multiverses here, right? Because we're talking about one where Jesus came to say, you all will have life and have it abundantly. It is inherently not okay for lives to be taken by the state. I, Jesus is about to be executed by cops who let him suffocate while he cries out for his parents. Hmm. So if that doesn't you know, sound familiar. And then like, we might be over here being like, could you message it better? And no, if you're gonna serve me, you're gonna follow me. Um, and it's not necessarily gonna be popular, but the, the appeal for life. I'm, I'm a little all over the place there, but you, you brought up a lot of rich stuff that no, asks us to, I, I think what we're being asked to do is locate ourselves, that the story is an ending. Jesus is saying this, this voice from heaven is not for me. It's actually for y'all. And uh, where are you going to locate yourself? Whoever the readers are in this podcast is for white Christian, uh, especially listeners asking us, where do we locate ourselves yeah. in the ongoing work? That's my treatise, but feel free to push back or I don't know what, make what you will with any of that. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm no pushback really in there. I, I, there was one piece that came in your, what you just said that really re started to resonate with how, you know, there's, there's, there's ways that got John's gospel does work to um, make things everybody's, um, mm. whether everybody, you know, it, there's also ways that John, and I think there's always the, the, the caveat with John around like the way that it's been used in anti-Semitic contexts. And so like mm -hmm. making sure that anybody who's reading or preaching from this text is figuring out ways to at least be aware of that if not like directly preaching around it so just always wanted to flag right. that the, the second though when it's when i think there's sometimes when we talk about universal universality we think about it in terms of the here and now and moving forward and i think what john's gospel does and in this passage comes up a few times even just sort of the way that um the the voice uh coming from heaven i've glorified it and will glorify it again god's the voice coming from heaven is like i've done that mm -hmm. it's it's been glorified um this this whole uh my presence in this world or the presence of the of the logos is 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 eternal not just moving forward and universal not just for everybody in the now but is and always has been so it's this mm -hmm. it's this invitation to understand um death is part of the creation story mm -hmm. and i think um what you brought up for me earlier when you were talking about 
um, you know, how do, how do white folks understand themselves and, and locate themselves in this, or even understand uh, very contemporary cries out um, from people about uh, against empire, um, you know, hashtag defund the police, hashtag uh, defend black life, that uh, those are those in and of themselves are not not just they're not uh, they're universal in their particularity, right? Mm. Um, they are universal in their calling out of uh, if we're defending black life, that is a way of, of proclaiming life for everybody uh, by uh, demanding that these death dealing instruments known as the police or the state of whatever kind of expression is killing us, killing our people, and that's dehumanizing all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I think, I mean, I always, I always, I continue to hear folks, uh, even in the back of their hearts and minds, um, in white spaces, still, still grappling with how to work and engage people in their lives and their families and their churches and their neighborhoods, uh, who, who grow concerned about like Black Lives Matter as a framework, the, the taking it to a, another level or taking it to another category. Uh, of defund the police is, I think, another way of talking about, we, there's also a way of talking about how the idea of resisting police violence, police brutality uh, is as ancient as God's call for life. <laughs> um, and I think that when we talk, we can put that in a U.S. historical context around just demands of abolition and what those have meant. They may not have ever used hashtag defund the police, but there were any number of cries out from abolitionists uh, frameworks, abolitionist movements uh, to dismantle some of these things that are that are that are killing our people, um, and th- and thereby harming all of us, right? And so I think that um, this passage again also s- says that. I mean, it's it's saying that it's like we. Um, well, I guess the passage doesn't say it directly, but just in thinking about our reflections on it, it's like what are the opportunities? in unpacking and using this text as a way to talk to our folks that we can also say contemporary uh, resistance and liberation struggles have a, that they're not just 21st century, they're not just the last year, but they're part of a longer arc of, of, of what is being proclaimed as like liberation truth, right? Um, so that, that's, a, that's I, I, I really appreciate what you bring it up because I feel like it helps to, to move the conversation in different dimensions of it. How it yeah. applies. Yeah. What you share gets at a core tension that I wrestle with a lot and, and is a in my own work becomes a really live question mm-hmm. uh, with white folks because Jesus also talks through scripture. I, I would say oftentimes white folks in a white supremacist country that privileges Christian identity for us have a hard time with what you said, the particularity you know, if we are well-meaning, then we have abundant grace to give each other for being well-meaning to the point that that kind of washes over everything else. Like, well, he meant well. And again, what the stakes are is that lives are being lost from these spiritualities and systems that dehumanize us all. And so it's always important to be really specific and name things that people in this like kind of universalizing like eventually the tide will rise no it takes work and it takes witness yeah um and that jesus also says hard things like i've come to set son against father and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law and 
not bring peace, but a sword or division, or you know what, if someone doesn't have ears to hear and a heart open, kick the dust off your feet. And what I hear oftentimes, and, and I think the specificity thing you said, and you said something really beautiful earlier about grief that I'd love to come back to, is the wrestling that white folks do and have to do with how much time and space do we give for um, having these conversations with each other while lives are on the line. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, meaning how do we quote unquote convince one another of the fact that these death dealing spiritualities that we benefit from, at least on a surface level, that we trick ourselves into saying like, oh, this is good. Whatever that manifestation is, whether it's the picket fence in the two car garage or, you know, well, they're um, so on. How do we convince each other? Like, oh, did you know that you're daily dehumanized? <laughs> And that there's a path of liberation forward. Like, what if someone doesn't want to hear it? Like, at what point? <laughs> at what point do we understand that actually someone is authentically, sincerely interested in being like, no, like Jesus said, this word of glory and liberation is for me. And at what point are they wanting to like get you stuck in the tar pit of just talking about the efficacy of certain hashtags? And that is a, whoo! I mean, it all comes back to relationship. Um, because no one wants to hear like, Hey, you need to, uh, get free <laughs> and, and being like, wait, I am, or I'm, I've done my good deeds for today. Um, and then, <laughs> and then be like, no, this is actually, yeah, this liberation is costly, but it brings so much life. And is it something that can just be spoken or does it have to be, as we were talking about witnessed? I think that's right. I think witnessed, and I think uh, I take I take inspiration from um, a pastoral care professor, Bonnie Miller McLemore, who I had at, uh, at at Vanderbilt back in the day. Uh, not back in the day; it wasn't that long ago, but a few years back. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, she really introduced this idea of care in the context of doing liberation-oriented work as being a really uh, part and parcel with paying attention. And I think that like the, if I can move people who've not quote unquote been paying attention to the realities of uh, police budgets in small towns or big towns or, or state departments or whatever, you know, not state departments, uh, federal, federal departments or federal branches, um, if I can move people to at least start paying attention to how much is spent versus how much isn't spent and what it's being spent on, then that moves people towards paying attention to the, to the, to the call that we're being brought into by what I would say is that voice from, from heaven, right? Like Mm -hmm. that voice from heaven of defund the police. (laughs) Um, That voice has come for, come for, for all of our sake, not, not for the, not, not for Jesus's necessarily. Right. Um, but I think that when we get those kinds of calls, um, people are going to be attending to that differently, right? Some of us might hear that and be reminded um, as white folks that uh, these deeper structural issues have day-to-day uh, manifestations in the form of, uh, you know, again, as concrete as police all the way to the, the way that we organize our, 
themselves into systems and structures and institutions. Right. Um, I think that we have that reminder. And some people, it might just be the be the beginning of paying attention to the fact that someone is crying out. Mm. Um, and if we can, I think as white people who are involved in liberation work, in thinking about the universality of these kinds of passages, um, universality means the the person who is like in the struggle on the daily and just needs a reminder uh, about where the priorities are. And then it, it's also we're we're working with a person who's like just learning about the concept, like the historical moment of reconstruction in in the U.S. Right? What does that mean? But those are like the ways that the the, the universality can apply to real terms um, and real people. Real terms, um, real people. Yeah, the specificity is so important. Like, and I like yeah. Don't get me wrong on what I was saying earlier. Like I. My own degree is in pastoral care and counseling. There is grace and space for the journey. That's um, right. That's and right. at the same time, saying we are following Jesus, uh, like I'm not some like you know proof text or anything, but like the the record is specific. It's like not whatever we want to say it is. It's mm -hmm. Like how will you know that the spirit of my life and death and resurrection is upon you? It'll look like liberation for the oppressed and. Uh, comfort and care for widows and orphans and and this is like time and time again and so it's just saying going to those who say like you said acknowledging someone's crying out if someone can take that one step and be like I hear you and what would it look like to be liberated from this oppression that maybe I can't even begin to understand because I've actually benefited from it and then we each have a choice along the way. And at any point, white supremacy will give us the freedom to opt out. Like That's right. just say, like, you know, I'm done. I've done. I've done it all, or or whatever. But we can keep following, and and we are given signposts to what the fruits of repentance are. The bare fruits worthy of repentance. Repentance just being a turning around towards a life-giving way, and it. It really comes to presence with the specific. It's not to get stuck in the white guilt place of self-flagellation right. or anything, but just to find ourselves. I was thinking you mentioned your seminary experience, like, and I mentioned earlier what I grew up with and had to deconstruct. Actually, one of the things that really did it for me, even though I had, quote unquote, intellectually deconstructed this toxic patriarchal theology I'd been given, but one of the things that bodily undid it specifically was my internship as a hospital chaplain in yep. graduate school and my supervisor, Sister Marianne Ruzzo, um, saying it's a ministry of presence. And it was a hospital um, Boston that kind of bordered Dorchester, which is a lower income, high crime uh, or you know, more violent uh, crime area. And just sitting with guys my own age who were like actively dying for lack of being me. Mm. And that it wasn't like that was like, oh my, that didn't exist for my liberation, everything, because there wasn't a good deal. It was just the presence. It was the solidarity. It was more than just even the front lines. It was just being, and then saying, this is not okay. You benefit from a theology of privilege and all you can do is be with one another and then ask, how do we move towards life mm. together? And within that, I said I want to come back to the grief piece you had spoken about earlier that I, I saw this on Twitter just yesterday and it struck me by someone named Amanda Held Opelt. 
She says, for the life of me, I'll never fully understand all the paradoxes of grief, how it robs you of your happiness while simultaneously equipping you for joy, how it steals your capacity to care, but also enhances it. Mm. And you had mentioned something earlier about there's this grief of Jesus is moving on and his execution. And then at the same time, that being the liberative through line, the signpost towards our ability, you know, we're all saying like life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. I don't know that we're actually guaranteed happiness by the living God, but joy is different from happiness. And that's why that tweet struck me so powerfully that there's a letting go, a losing of life and a gaining of something that we almost can't even imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, that is a per powerful thing. Amanda, what's the name of the person's? Like, Who wrote that? Yeah. Amanda Held Opelt. Yeah. Sitting with that. I mean, I think that, um, we, are so conditioned to think that things like perfection or things like um, these kind of frameworks in which there is a there is an ideal or a perfection and I think that 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 gets in the way of our understanding of perfectly uh, perfectly is not the right <laughs> I was trying to say but like we you know I think I think Jesus in this passage saying that like the seed will die and that from that will come life is not some like cute thing it's saying like the seed will break open the seed will the seed will have a different uh have a different experience in, in if it's if it's allowed to grow if it's allowed to if it's allowed to die from its form into something else and I think that we're not really um, well suited, it feels like for whatever reason to it, because of the, the systems that be, all the things that we've been talking about to really um, get into the mysteries of change. Mm. And, and I think that if grief is allowed to be a feeling that we have as we participate and in, in, in move through change, it doesn't need to be bad, mm -hmm. but we, we, there are, I, I, this is like unformed thinking here, but I'm thinking it's like, sometimes I feel like we, we have multiple things going on inside us when we're, when we're in grief. And one of the things that's inside us when a lot of us are in grief. And I think from a white context, it's, it's real. It's like, uh, we're taught to think that it's not supposed to happen, mm -hmm. even if we're not, like, how could this happen? Why did this happen? You know, it's like, I mean, and those things are real, not to d diminish questions about like why something's happening in, in people's uh, quest for figuring it out. Um, but I also think that with that has come, a there, there are ways where it can be dangerous for our well-being or for our wholeness when we immediately think of grief as, a, as something that accompanies more morally bad things right and what if we were i think part of the work of liberation is liberating ourselves from those constructions those things where grief equals bad 
where grief actually can be um, a whole range of of experiences of soreness, of of exhaustion, and and uh, of of what it means to be created, and that participating in grief is a way of participating and being recreated. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I and I think that that um, that's something that like white Protestant like upbringing for me, you know, it's like it's not like I was told not to cry or like conditioned to do like to not feel sad, but it was. I do think there culturally, it's like there's another part of that liberation struggle where it's like it's actually okay to say that we're not doing okay, right? Um, it's okay. I, it's okay I, to say that something hurts, you know, something. right? And that that is the unpacking of the the fullness of our human selves that, as you kind of alluded to, and we've referenced throughout this conversation, like this idea of perfection is its own kind of white supremacist construct or patriarchal, that there's a top-down answer. God is perfect and we have to aspire to be like that. And it helps explain a lot of the other kind of violences I was raised in, in addition to feeling bad about having feelings and 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 it being criticized for being quote unquote sensitive, um, these other kind of patriarchal violences that also then inform purity culture, and like these there's these perfect ways of being that and you aspire to, and that God is like the Jenga tower all pulled together, and you have to somehow make it through life without having too many blocks pulled out, <laughs> and then someone explained it to me better. It was just like God is whole. And God can pour out God's wholeness, um, but still being filled up. And these things like uh, grief, imagination, mystery, doubt, sexuality, everything are beautiful, fungible, particular aspects of what it means to be human, but they don't have borders and boundaries and clear lines and blocks that fit under some rubric they can only be traversed through and explored honestly and in love. Um, And if we can open ourselves to letting go of perfection paradigms, we might find ourselves liberated on the other side. Mm. Mm. And, and, and I think that kind of gets back at that one question we're wrestling with is like, how do we have this conversation? Yeah. Maybe this is a good segue to bringing it to a close. Totally. But like with, with other white folks is acknowledging the consternation or the gnashing of teeth that might come up when a world, when our worldview is problematized that people who might be well-meaning, but are like, defund the police. I don't know. And instead getting at, well, what's going on for you in that, you know, almost like say, it's not like, it's okay to not be okay but it's not okay to get stuck on like, you know, the, the guilt of I'm a part of this. No, like process, sit with your feelings and see what's coming up for you because we are all on a journey. And I think it's, again, one of the great victories of white supremacy in the church and in the culture at large that crushes the permission, the ability to feel like we even have permission to question um what's possible um that presupposes the necessity of the police for example i mean let's be honest like white folks in this country we already live with police abolition um that's right that's right that's um, right 
it's bridging that reality and naming new things. that Seth and I think that is a good transition into our calls to action um, and as Seth is saying you know it's like for folks who are listening how do you have these convos with your folks you know um, how do you uh, lean into the uh, what is a pretty clear and universalizing and also eternalizing proclamation in this passage um, and think about that in the context of liberation struggles today, which is that uh, through the struggles that are not just in the 21st century, not just in the 20th, excuse me, 2020, 2021, uh, but that predate uh, and that go way back and that will be continued to, will, that will continually, continuously be called into participating. And so how do you have these conversations with your folks? Um, you one thing to say is, is you do it by doing it you know you, you do it by opening up the conversations you do it by asking folks how they make sense of this within the context not just of how we relate to one another in some uh kind of vague way in our church community or our house community but also in our neighborhoods and in our cities and our towns and our states how policies are impacting people uh, and how what we're grappling with about uh what's next Right. Uh, can be a, a throughway and a passage into transformation as opposed to uh, an obstruction of transformation. So have these conversations with your folks. And Seth, you have some other resources to call us into checking out, don't you? Yeah, that's and that's super critical for all of us to remember, which is that there's no wrong or right answer in terms of where we access what comes next. Um, I was a grassroots organizer. I mean, I guess I still consider myself an organizer for over 16 years. And we find ourselves where we want to enter the flowing river of all this. So mm -hmm. if it's stepping into the shallows, into the eddy, if you're ready to go whitewater ra uh, rafting right out the <laughs> gate, there are opportunities and access points all along the way uh, for all of us, you know, our own work my work in Charlottesville, Virginia in the summer of 2017. Some people are called to the front line. Some people are called to be care bears, medics, you know, and showing up to confront white supremacy. So while I do believe you and me, Alan, have made a compelling case that doing nothing is not an option, <laughs> um, what I encourage everyone to do is to find where is your being, because it's not really about doing, and then step into the river and, and there are wonderful resources out there. Jesus got you, other white folks and showing up for racial justice has got you. I wanna especially plug 
the Community Safety for All Toolkit, which can be found on Surge's website, showingupforracialjustice.org, and through the Word is Resistance podcast page. That's the Community Safety for All Toolkit. And if that really grabs you, and as you find yourself uh, with ways to plug in in your own context, which is also critically important, we all can't do all the things all the time. We all fall out and pass out. So find out what makes most sense in your context. And uh, you can also learn through that toolkit what it means to come alongside as a community co-sponsor of the Breathe Act. So that's my big plug for today. How about you? Awesome. Yeah, there's a couple of other things we want to make sure folks know about if they don't know about them already. Uh, from the good neighbor movement, the good folks in the good neighbor movement from Greensboro, North Carolina, uh, there is a Black Lent devotional. It's a daily devotional. And Black Lent is centering the voices of Black writers from across the U.S. who are inspired by and embody the Black prophetic tradition. And the Good Neighbor Movement invites us to join them for 40 days of spiritual renewal, contemplation, and liberation. And if you are interested in checking that out, and I think it would be cool if you were interested, tiny.cc uh, backslash Black Lent. Uh, again, tiny, T-I-N-Y dot C-C and then backslash Black Lint. You can go to that and subscribe to that daily uh, devotional. Um, and then there will be a episode next week. This podcast uh, is brought to you by Surge, but also with the amazing back of house work of sound editors like Matt Reno. Uh, thanks so much for joining us from wherever you might be listening in from or paying attention to from. Uh, we'd love to hear from you all. Uh, anybody who wants to comment on the SoundCloud or the Twitter or Facebook pages. And we'd just love for folks to give feedback on how we're doing. Uh, we're really interested in hearing from our kin of color uh, and folks of color and other non-Christian folks uh, who may be checking us out. Um, we'll have a resistance word from Gene Jeffress next week. And that will be coming up for the following week. So again, that'll be for March 28th. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org, and you can check out this podcast and it uh, where it lives on SoundCloud. Just search the word is resistance. Uh, please give us a like, rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to the podcast. You can also find transcripts. They're available on the website. They include all the references, resources, action links. And again, just a big shout out to sound editor Matt Reno can't do this without you. So thank you so much, Matt. Alan, thank you so much. I feel like we could talk all day. As well. I know, I know. It was nice to, we, this is our first time really connecting. So I, I right. this was uh, a beautiful circumstance. It was nice. Yeah, to talk. this was a gift for me and yeah. threw a lot of spaghetti against the wall and I hope some of it stuck for y'all. Before I close us with a modified Franciscan benediction, I have to ask, are you a Marvel Cinematic Universe or DC Extended Universe person? Or can you hold the tension and why choose? <laughs> I'm more of a why choose, but I have, I will admit that I think it might just be their amazing advertising, uh, but Marvel's got me right now. So yeah. I was gonna say that, yeah, I don't know. I have gone with my, I, so I grew up a DC boy, okay. uh, loving those heroes. <laughs> um, it wasn't big comic book collector, I mean, but you know, the action figures and, but certainly I've been pulled into the Marvel Cinematic Stream and watched them all now with my daughter. And I love, uh, we could, let's come back and do a podcast about all that. That being said, 
<laughs> Maybe I need absolution for this. I am so excited for Zack Snyder's Justice League this week. Oh, I have so much grace and space. I love Man of Steel. I think the extended director's edition of Batman vs. Superman outside of a couple moments is a legit movie. That's great. And so I am willing to take and receive any and all hate mail uh, if that's not your jam. But I, you know, we don't have much to look forward to in this pandemic and the word is strong. I'm not going to read your hate mail about this. I am going to get my church service done early this week so I can spend four hours battling the other side. That's awesome. Oh, gosh. Uh, we'll see if Matt Reno keeps that in. Because um, I've got a whole other hour to talk about this. Yeah, sounds like it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Beloved people, may God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you all may live deep within your hearts. Beloved people, may God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, white supremacy, patriarchy, queerphobia, xenophobia, and more, so that you may reach out your hands to comfort them in embodied solidarity until pain is turned into joy. And beloved, may God bless you all with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that we can all do what others claim cannot be done. Amen. Amen.